This is the ZMAR Podcast. Elite Benefits of America helps small and mid-sized companies with their health insurance programs. And now, your host, Butch ZMAR. Today I brought on Jason Finn. He's from uh, Geek Chicago. He does a bunch of stuff. And uh, Jason, welcome to the show. Good morning, Butch. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Not a problem. So Jason, can you give our audience um, uh, that's listening to the podcast uh, a little background on who you are, where you come from, and you know what, what you do? Sure. Thanks. Thanks very much. I've been in Chicago for 25 years, and uh, for the last 11 and a half years, uh, I've been the owner of Geek Chicago, as you mentioned, which is a uh, marketing agency that works with small and medium-sized businesses around the country, as well as the political world. Uh, I have uh, 16 years of experience in the real estate industry, which maybe we'll get a chance to talk about uh, a little bit more detail. And uh, I've got uh, a wife and two uh, elementary school-aged kids, and we're having a great time. <laughs> yeah, especially in Chicago, right? So can you shed some light on some of the, your niches in the real estate industry? Yeah, it's sort of a unique situation. I don't know too many folks who have a setup quite like I do, but in a sense, I have two full-time jobs. So I left consulting. I was a management consultant for IBM and PwC, and I used to travel all the time. Uh, I left about 16 years ago, and I got my real estate license, and I sold, uh, helped clients buy and sell homes, work with investors, landlords, et cetera. In the last uh, couple of years, I transitioned uh, from selling real estate to being a mortgage loan originator. It seemed like a better fit for uh, for the rest of the way my business is set up, and I uniquely had that experience of being a real estate agent for all of those years to take to the loan origination side. So a lot of people think, oh, you used to work in that industry. And the reality is that I still do. So in a sense, I have two full-time businesses. Uh, Geek Chicago is a digital marketing agency. As I mentioned, we work with small and medium-sized businesses. A lot of businesses we work with are in the real estate industry. So we work with a uh, mortgage uh, lender. We work with a residential sales brokerage. We work with a title company. We work with a real estate attorney. Uh, we work with home inspectors. Uh, we even work with home cleaners. We do a lot of writing. So having a real estate license, having a mortgage loan origination license, uh, having a writer on staff who is a former practicing attorney, we bring a depth of knowledge to our marketing clients in these industries that they wouldn't have from any other marketing company. A lot of uh, good content up there, but with the content that you are creating for the real estate world, right? And so what, what have you seen as far as maybe even some trends or overall changes that you've seen just in the last three years uh, when it comes to some of these real estate agents and, and the, their counterparts um, uh, marketing and, and trying to generate business pre-COVID, COVID, and then post-COVID? Yeah, the, it's a great question because the industry has changed really dramatically, even, you know, when I started 16 years ago, uh, if you had a BlackBerry, if you had a way to get your email out of the office, you were like in the top third of, <laughs> of real estate agents. You may remember the iPhone isn't even that old. Uh, and so, uh, you know, at that time you were, you were the harbinger of data. If somebody wanted to buy a house, they had to go to a real estate broker and say, where are the houses that are for sale? Now, of course, we all know nobody listening to this podcast doesn't know that they can go and do a search on a Zillow or a Redfin uh, or a BairdWarner.com and look for a home to purchase. So real estate agents have really had to elevate their game, both in terms of their skills and their capabilities and their competence. They've had to become better uh, negotiators. They've had to become better analysts of the market. Uh, and of course, especially they've had to become better marketers of themselves. So there's a, a number of different ways that a real estate agent can have success in their marketing. 
but the shift in the last few years, as you talked about, is that people are really generating a brand for themselves, regardless of which brokerage they might work for. Uh, there is some agency law or, uh, to be aware of. So if you're a real estate agent who just wants to put their own sign on the ground, you have to be aware of some specifics there uh, that we talk about with our clients. Uh, but really, agents are individually uh, marketing and branding themselves. So they have a really strong presence on social media. Some are uh, have really taken advantage of the TikTok platform over the last couple of years that it's emerged. Uh, you know, there's Instagram, Instagram Reels, Facebook. LinkedIn is a good one. And one that most people miss is uh, Google My Business or Google Small Business, it used to be called. And there's an opportunity to continue to educate and inform your audience and your prospective audience there and then have create fans uh, and then ultimately champions of what you do. And a champion is somebody who would say, you have to see what my real estate agent put on Instagram. We were just talking about this topic last night and now she or he uh, are talking about this exact topic and you should see what they have to say. And that generates a lot of conversations, which is what a real estate agent needs to get in the door and demonstrate their knowledge and their capability. I forgot the term that you just mentioned, but they're, they're branding themselves um, uh, through content and, and online, um, you know, social media stuff. But have you seen that where it's across platform industry platforms? So like, um, and insurance is, you know, uh, one topic that I discuss a lot across in insurance industry, construction, hospital, you know, or, um, you know, hospitality, healthcare, you know, have you seen it work that way? Um, similar across all those platforms in the industries? I, I have. And I think you're either asking me one of two questions. One is across the real estate industry. Does it touch a number of verticals or, are you saying is the same trend for real estate true in, in the other industries you mentioned? Actually, so the first one I, I didn't even think about. So can you touch on both? You know, how is it working for, across the real estate industry? And then how is it working across um, other industries? Yeah, absolutely. So in a real estate transaction, you, you get a lot of people involved. So uh, I have a, a friend who I was speaking to uh, the other day. Uh, he and his wife bought a home a few years back. I actually helped them purchase that home when I was still selling real estate. Now they're looking to sell their home and purchase a new one. Uh, and they have a, they know another real estate agent. Uh, and they said, we need some help with the, with the mortgage. So, you know, obviously I'm going to work with them on their finances and understand what they can qualify for the best way to structure a loan, et cetera. There is a real estate agent that, uh, that I'm connected with, uh, and I know how she works and what her strengths and her capabilities are. Uh, ultimately once they're under contract, they're going to have a real estate attorney who is going to usher them through what we call attorney review in the industry. Uh, and that attorney will schedule a closing at a title company who's got their own set of responsibilities. Uh, and prior to that, they'll have hired a home inspector. Uh, and so we can build out uh, these sort of teams of capable and talented uh, folks, professionals that we know. And a consumer may want to pick and choose, or they may say, Jason, you've got a great team around you. Uh, and so uh, as we market and as we expand our presence in the industry, we get to know other practitioners and we can co-market and co-brand. Uh, and some of my favorite things to do, I love to educate. I love to inform. I love to problem solve. So if somebody's thinking about buying a home for the first time, I love to have a webinar, something that really uh, emerged more so during COVID or an in-person sort of uh, gathering or seminar. But how do you buy a home? And here are all the professionals that are here in the room uh, that can answer specific questions about what they do and the importance of what they do. So that in and of itself is a is a, a marketing technique. And all of those verticals, I think, have gotten more sophisticated some more quickly than others in terms of 
their reach on social media, uh, SEO or search engine optimization, blogging, their website, all the other platforms you can be on. Uh, and so then to extend that answer beyond to your the original intent of your question about uh, other industries and construction, insurance, et cetera, it's, it's absolutely the case. We have, you know, we've worked with uh, insurance companies, we've worked with home services companies. When you have a question about uh, a need of any sort, how do I ensure that uh, my small company, that my employees all have adequate health insurance? Uh, how do I, um, in my office or in my home, uh, my heating and cooling has gone out or I'm having plumbing issues. How do I, can I fix this thing on my own? Do I need a professional? Most people turn to either a referral from a friend, which that audience can grow on social media, or they simply turn to Google, right? And so they'll put in a query, how do I fix a leaky faucet? Or uh, why does my air condition run all the time, but my room isn't getting any cooler? And Geek Chicago's aim is to make sure that when somebody asks that question on Google, they're connected with a local, capable, uh, excellent uh, practitioner uh, of that trade who can potentially answer the question. Uh, but as long as I'm there as a consumer and I've gotten my question answered and I don't have the tools myself to solve it, I might call or I'm probably going to call the company or the practitioner whose website I'm on. So I'll pick up their phone, fill out their contact form, et cetera. So in the olden days, we did a lot of what was called outbound marketing. Here's a coupon for $100 off of your next uh, uh, furnace fill or open enrollment period is coming up. Make sure you know what your options are. And now it's a lot more about educating and informing and allowing consumers to become fans of who you are and what you do. And then when they have that specific need, you're the first person they think of. They turn to you. So with the individual branding that you had kind of, kind of brought up um, during this conversation, um, have you... Also, I mean, to expand that, uh, what you just said a little bit further, have you seen there's a difference in some of that, or is it pretty much the same whether the company that's trying to do the marketing and using their sales reps to individually brand themselves to uh, create content and awareness um, compared to large companies? So you had mentioned you have a past um, history with IBM. So, I mean, if we put, you know, IBM in a category, IBM of the worlds uh, in general, and you have these sales reps going out and marketing, not just IBM in general, but, uh, but any company of that statue compared to, you know, any small and medium-sized company that you and I rub elbows with every day in Chicago. Have you seen a difference in the in the sales rep branding, like, perspective? Um, like, because a lot of big shops, like in my world, and maybe you've seen it across um, big shops don't like the independent branding. They want they want company branding, and it becomes an issue, I think, with the salesperson because the times have changed. But what what have you seen some of the transitions some of these big companies have and successes compared to the smaller companies? Yeah, that's such a that's such a great question. It's a it's um that's something we could probably talk about for for an eight hour podcast. <laughs> uh, and maybe we should schedule that for sure. But uh, yeah, just give us the reader digest version. <laughs> So, you know, I think a company like uh, an IBM or a, a big, big organization, a Fortune 500, a Global 1000, even the next tier down, um, their sales folks, they, of course, they have products or services to sell that are unique to, uh, or at least their their employer or their brand would like the world to think that they're unique to that company. Uh, but but as a, you know, as a salesperson or an account manager in an organization like that, I really only have a specific set of services or products to sell. And so if I'm going out to my customer base, my prospective customer base, I think the corporate marketing and the corporate brand is still very much uh, what is being led with there. We're IBM. We provide reliable services in this particular area. Uh, if you 
have a need that we can solve in this particular area, IBM is obviously the brand to do it, regardless of the fact of who the account manager or who the salesperson is. Now, that said, if that professional is, uh, is shrewd, they are still developing. They still got a LinkedIn profile, for example, that's built out. They're sharing articles. They're interacting with content other people are posting. And if they feel that their employer doesn't value their uh, experience or their efforts or their successes, then they have created something of an individual brand for themselves to find employment at another company in the industry or even outside of the industry. So there's definitely still some personal branding that goes on there as a professional. Uh, now, on the, if we're talking about the agency side, if we're talking about real estate or mortgage or insurance or wealth management, uh, the, you're, you're absolutely right. The bigger players, the bigger companies in those industries want, want the brand to be, uh, want the brand to be the winner. So the Coldwell bankers, if we take the real estate industry, uh, or in the Chicagoland area, the app properties folks, they want that to be the brand. And in the olden days as a real estate agent, you were issued a phone number and the phone rang at your desk. And when you left your company, your email address and your phone number stayed with your company. And so you had to really figure out how to reach all the consumers. But now, of course, it's the case that there is a value uh, to going directly to Butch or going directly to, you know, a particular real estate agent or a particular loan officer. Uh, and so that individual brand under the umbrella of the bigger brand, uh, I think, really, uh, really emerges. You know, we provide a certain kind of customer service or we have a process here where we don't miss anything, whereas our parent company may have a different identity and we can benefit from both at the same time. Totally makes sense. And while you were talking through that, it reminded me there's got, I think there's a uh, sports movie out there that talks about that. Uh, the, the, the name and the logo on the front of the Jersey is only made up with the names on the back of the Jersey. And, uh, and I yeah. forget the exact quote, but, uh, uh, not everybody um, believes that because, um, but then I have to reference and say, well, just look at the Chicago Bears, right? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, you get good players, all of a sudden Bears are on the map. And when you get uh, mediocre players, uh, best, uh, all of a sudden you got a different ball game. But moving to a little bit more of mar marketing and creativity. So, um, and I actually extracted this topping, uh, talking point off of uh, your website. So you have these sections and I forget what they were all called, but there was one I just wanted to highlight and then you could give some ideas of how you came up with it. And then, you know, maybe just a high level overview, but this thing called content pillars, right? And so, um, so I'm curious a little bit more about, you know, what is the content pillars and, and, and there's a, another section that says crafting your pillars. Like what's the idea behind the pillars and how does it benefit putting it together and trying to get it out to, um, your client, your prospect base? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's great. You really, <laughs> you dug deep here. Uh, <laughs> so when we talk about content pillars, we often talk about them in the context uh, of a company's uh, SEO for the listeners who are familiar with that acronym and those that aren't search engine optimization, which is essentially the, I would say the art and science of getting your website, your brand, your content found on Google uh, and ideally getting to the top of the first page of Google. So I'm going to, I'm going to revert back to the real estate industry because that's one that I can obviously easily talk about in great depth. Uh, we developed a uh, we developed a website for a small real estate team in the Chicagoland area, and they're very analytical. And they wanted to be able to share with their uh, with their audience uh, what the what the market conditions are in a particular neighborhood. So 
what is happening in the uh, home industry in Lincoln Park versus in Avondale versus in the South Loop versus in Evanston. We read the national news as consumers and we learn that the real estate market is going to do this or it's going to do that. And it doesn't necessarily apply to the localized market. Chicago is a different animal than the whole country. And frankly, Portage Park and Jefferson Park are different animals than, uh, you know, than River North. Uh, and so um, this is all uh, a lot of detail to get to the, to the pillars, which is to say we wanted this, um, we wanted this uh, real estate team to be known for their individual market analysis. So how do we get to the first page of Google for that? Uh, we did a deep dive into a particular neighborhood, and we talked about market stats in that neighborhood. Then the next week, we chose another neighborhood, and we did a deep dive into the market stats in there, and we replicated that a dozen times. So now we had 12 neighborhoods on there. And it takes, SEO takes time. So it took three or four months. And so their content got elevated to the first page of Google after three or four months of residing on Google and doing some different things to promote it. When we then added another neighborhood, that piece of content was on the front page of Google in the top two or three search results within a week because Google had said, this particular real estate team works in the real estate industry. Uh, they know about market conditions and their content is recent and current. And so when there was a new piece of content out there, it already fit the mold of how the Google algorithm had categorized them. Then when they wrote an article called what does the uh, 2022 real estate market have in store for us in Chicago, Google said, these guys are the authorities on market stats and analysis in Chicago. We're going to elevate this and reward this. And that became the number one piece of content on Google for Chicago real estate 2022 or some combination of keywords. And so that generated a bunch of opportunities for that real estate team, because when somebody was looking for the best real estate agent in Lincoln Park, or what are, what's the real estate market going to look like in Portage Park, those pieces of content would come up first and they would say, these are the authorities and they would call them or email them. So the idea with a pillar is you choose some concept or category within the industry that you work in and you build those kind of vertical supports. And then after that, you can start layering on uh, let's say the floors, if you're to picture, uh, picture uh, you know, uh, Greek or Roman architecture. Uh, so you've got your pillars and then they support your your ceilings and your your additional floors potentially in your, in your structure. Well, it sounds like we need to have a podcast just on that alone. <laughs> if you own a business, Elite Benefits of America wants to remind you that health insurance open enrollments are either happening now or coming very quickly. And this is the time to review and implement a health care plan to make or keep you as the employer of choice. Deadlines for open enrollment range between November 1st and January 1st. Get ahead of the curve. The Small Business Special Enrollment Period, part of the Affordable Care Act, now allows employers with 49 employees and under to offer health benefits without contributing a dime to the employee plan. Help your employees save money on taxes with health insurance they're already paying for with their hard-earned dollars. Butch Zemar from Elite Benefits of America wants you to reach out to him today. Visit EliteBenefits.net or call 708-535-3006. Actually, I'm a little excited to actually move to the next topic, so let's talk about poker a little bit. Um, and so what, what's it like to be a host of the, the Winnie City, um, was it the poker championship? Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, I host a, a TV show on NBC Sports Chicago called Windy City Poker Championship. Uh, I've been doing that for, I think, 10 or 11 years, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's a very, very part-time 
experience. Uh, these days, I probably three or four weekends a year, and generally all in one day, uh, go to wherever these tournaments are being held. These days, they're typically in the in the southwest suburbs of Chicago. We use the Charitable Gaming Act uh, as the um, as the sort of guideline or the structure for how we can run poker tournaments outside of the casino. So they all have a charitable uh, um, organization that's benefiting from the work. And I go and I sit in a booth, a sound booth. Uh, these days I've been working with the great Ben Ponzio, who's worked in radio for years and years and is a World Series of Poker champion, a bracelet holder, as we say in, in poker. Uh, and we sit in a booth and we watch uh, poker players at a table playing poker live. It's a, a RFID or radio frequency ID table, so it knows it can read the cards. Uh, and then we have producers at the table who are documenting uh, electronically what the bet sizes are and things like that. And we sit and we, we call the game live uh, while it's being played. It's broadcast live uh, over YouTube or over Facebook uh, or hopefully in the near future on um, broadcast television. It's something that we're working on. And then later the show is edited into individual episodes and airs on NBC Sports Chicago. It's, it's awesome. I've had, uh, I mean, you know, I'm an amateur broadcaster. <laughs> so uh, there, are other, uh, there are other shows that, that you may feel have a more polished finish. Uh, but we get a lot of great kudos from our audience for what we put together on a relatively limited budget. And it's given me an opportunity to meet some of the most fascinating people whether they be um, celebrities or almost celebrities in the Chicagoland area uh, or great math minds, poker minds, business people around the country. I've gotten to play poker with all sorts of different people. Uh, and I've gotten to befriend uh, some folks with just really amazing perspectives on how the world works and how you should play poker and mathematics and all of those things been pretty fun is it more like the like an nhl game where the guy's excited and and getting the play-by-play <laughs> or is or is it kind of soft tone like the golf tournaments <laughs> uh, i love that question because when i started doing it uh, i would always speak in a very hushed tone like i was like somebody was about to take a 16-foot putt and my producer said you know why, why are you so quiet people are going to fall asleep uh, and i felt like i was respecting you know when you sit at a poker table uh, if you're being respectful, you're being fairly quiet while somebody's making a big decision, and it seemed appropriate for the moment. Uh, on the other hand, there are folks like if you watch the World Poker Tour, and I had an opportunity actually to meet uh, Vince Van Patten a couple of years ago and uh, generously was invited to a movie premiere. He had put together a great movie about uh, betting and about Las Vegas, uh, and he is a, a gracious and wonderful human. He has an incredible amount of energy when he broadcasts. Uh, and to me, sometimes that felt a little bit over the top. So I think it's finding the sweet spot. Most of the people who watch the show with regularity are poker enthusiasts. So they have a pretty good idea of what's going on. Uh, but I also want to kind of educate and inform in the moment. So I might say, you know, I might say Butch is all in. He's got top set. Uh, and Jason is behind. He's a three to one underdog. He's drawing to his flush. He needs any heart or any ace. You know, and then when whatever happens, then there's going to be an elevation of uh, of energy and excitement of what that outcome was. Oh, you know, Butch's hand holds up. The flush doesn't come. Jason's going to be eliminated in fifth place. Uh, but uh, but, you know, there is such thing as over the top for sure. And I want to keep it 
just this side of cheesy if I can. Most of what you just said, I had no idea. So my my last question on, <laughs> on my list here was, if somebody even has a remote interest in poker, how do they even get started? Because uh, a lot of people I know, I was in the Navy and they didn't play poker in the Navy. They played um, a lot of hearts and so um, um, and some other games, but not poker itself. And so if somebody had an interest that's listening to this podcast or even myself, maybe, um, how does somebody get started? Because they half of the stuff you just said was like, um, what does he say? What, what does he say? Flush? What? <laughs> well, if you're a card player, if you love to play hearts or spades or bridge, uh, or if you grew up in Michigan like I did and played a lot of euchre, uh, then I think you're going to really enjoy and have the capacity to be good at, at poker. Uh, and I think, you, you know, watching it on TV is one thing and you can pick up some tips, but a lot of poker on TV is edited. So you only really get to see the highlights and it makes you feel like you should be playing every hand. And, and the key to being successful in poker is having some patience and maybe less ego than, than you would have otherwise. That was, that took me a while to figure out. <laughs> uh, but when I really got into the game, Somebody bought me a book. I was still traveling. I was still working for IBM. Uh, and we played on Wednesday nights out of town. Uh, and somebody here in Chicago, uh, I was studying at Second City, and I was on a house team at, uh, at I.O., which at the time was called Improv Olympic. And one of my fellow improvisers bought me a book um, by, um, oh, I wish I could come up with his name at this moment. I feel badly. He, he actually, then later I got to know this gentleman, and he gave me his next book. Uh, so another great story about the progress in poker. Uh, but I would say read, um, there's, uh, David Sklansky and two plus two publishing wrote a book 30 or 40 years ago called the theory of poker, because poker is more than just one card game. There's dozens and dozens of variations of poker. And, and the listeners have probably heard of seven card stud and no limit Texas Hold'em. But for every one of those, there's another 25 that they've maybe never heard of. So David Sklansky talks about poker broadly in theory, which I found really interesting. And then folks like Dan Harrington and Phil Galfond have written books about uh, specific game types and how to be successful at those. And then there's all sorts of online training, uh, training programs and, and uh, 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 tools and software. Um, I'm a, uh, I've gotten to know Faraz Jaka over the years. So if your listeners Google Faraz Jaka Poker, Faraz has a great online training uh, uh, program as well, and he has been really, really successful in poker, and he's also a great guy and a, and a great entrepreneur. Uh, so an online training program could be good for, for some folks as well. Great advice there, and uh, I, I, the content we created here I think is, is definitely good, and you shared a lot of insights in, in marketing and what, what you do, and I appreciate that. So if anybody listening to this podcast wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way to get for them to reach out in, in any area, whether it's related to poker or real estate or marketing in general? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so an email is always great. We all get a lot of emails, but I think I'm pretty good these days at filtering them and, and picking out the highlights. Uh, if, it's a, if it's a digital marketing question, uh, jason at geekchicago.com. Uh, and on the mortgage side, it's jason at Jason Lenz, L-E-N-D-S dot com. Uh, those are the best ways. Or you can give me a call, 773-797-9499. Those are the best ways to get in touch with me. Awesome. This has definitely been great. And uh, we should probably schedule a couple times to uh, talk about some of those other areas that are a little bit more um, deeper in depth. And so 
Uh, I appreciate it, uh, Jason, and uh, we'll bring you back sometime. Sounds like a lot of fun. Today was great. Thank you, Butch. Just a quick update on renewals. Um, Right now for medical and uh, group benefit renewals coming in, we're waiting patiently for December and January's uh, renewals, but we're seeing right now 8 to 10% across the Chicago market. Um, I, I did talk to a small business owner yesterday, and of course he griped. He's like the last two years, it's up 20%. And uh, I was like, well, if you really want to, you know, you know, show cards um, for sure, is that it's ne- it's nearly doubled in 10 years. So, uh, and I went through that conversation. And then it also doubled in, in a lot of cases from 2010 to 2014. And then from 2014 to now going into 2023, um, it's, it's, done, it's two times the amount. So, uh, I told him, let's just take that off the table. There's not a whole lot we can do about that. But he was wondering what we could do. And, and I said, well, one reality is you're one year older. And so part of the 8 to 10% that people forget on a regular basis is they're not getting younger, they're getting older. When you get older, there's more risk for the insurance company. I agree 100%. I, I do think that the, uh, the business model for the insurance company is favorable to them and not you. Um, not, um, I, I'm telling you, if you had transparency and they pull that curtain, kind of like in the wizard of Oz and they pull the curtain open and saw the, the, the wizard himself, uh, you would see things that you would never want to ever see again. Working in the industry, uh, go back to that, that, that cliche or that, that phrase that says, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Well, we see a lot of things that we just can't believe that it even occurs or even as legal or ethical. And it's probably because they have a lot of lobbying money and politicians keep their mouth shut. But if you want to do something now, I would call your um, your senators and congressmen. But I, I, I wrote out uh, just a few notes here to for those who are complaining about this increase or want to look through some solutions. I'm going to walk you through just a couple. And these are no different than my past podcasts I've talked about. So one is uh, if you're buying insurance on your own and you don't make enough money, the ACA provides taxpayer dollars to help reduce your premiums. It's not free money. It is taxpayers redistributing their money um, through a tax law that was called the Affordable Care Act to help reduce your premiums. If your income is above that, then I would recommend looking at a small group uh, in the Midwest, at least, uh, and it happens all over the country, but in the Chicagoland area, the tri-state area, in most cases, not all, but in most cases, we could do a small group, the husband and wife. Um, now, some brokers are charging setup fees for the husband and wife unless you have employees um, and and there's more. We get paid per head. We don't get paid a percentage. And so um, per per enrolled person, we get paid on. And so it's not enough. We take, take it on a husband and wife small group plan. It would take us two years before we start making money. And so most of us are starting to charge, uh, or we have been charging setup fees, but just be aware of that it's common practice. Don't be sticker shock, but it's just the way it goes. But the monthly premiums are going to be lower. If you want to try to reduce your health insurance even more, whether you're an employer, an HR executive, CFO, um, or independent solopreneur, uh, whatever it might be, you need to learn about how health insurance really works. And I think once you start doing that, then you're going to see things that you cannot ever unsee again. And that could be to your favor. So so if I just bro- break down health insurance and in, in it's entirely, and in fact, um, you know, it's I, I've always known that this way, but there's a colleague in the industry is on the East Coast that actually pointed it out this way. And I thank him for um, breaking it down this way. But there's two parts to health insurance. There's the funding mechanism, uh, how we pay for it and, and finance it. And then the other part is expenses. 
for years, even brokers always focused on the funding of the mechanism. Self-funding plans have been around for um, a long, long, long time, decades. And brokers are moving employers over to self-funded, but it's not solving the, the, the problem. It's the same thing where um, and, uh, our government's having this problem, but households have this problem, is that you may make good money, but you can't save a dime to your name. And so you have to focus on the expenses because you can make a million dollars a year, but if you can't save any money on a million dollars, it means nothing. You're better off uh, making less than $100,000 a year and saving most of it. Funding is one piece of it, and you need to look at strategies for that. There's so many different strategies. The smaller you are, in, if you're an individual, it gets harder for that, but there's definitely ways you could work around. And then the expense side of things. So like an employer-sponsored plan, uh, you have to focus on the expenses. Gone are the days that you could just willy-nilly just go wherever you want because you have this magic credit card in your wallet with an insurance company logo on there because you're not paying it. It's like a big open credit card. And so you could go to the biggest hospital in Chicago, drop this card, and it could be $10 million, and you don't pay the balance. Somebody else does. And so that's the big, a huge issue when it comes to healthcare. We got to move away from that because no other insurance product operates that way. You're self-insuring for a lot of the stuff or it's exempt and it makes sense. Like uh, your golf clubs are in your car and um, it gets stolen, right? In some cases, you're just going to have to pay cash for that. You could make claims on your homeowner's insurance and that's a totally different topic. But my my intent here is to just talk about things that just are not covered. Um, If your AC breaks on your house in the middle of summer, you're responsible for it, not the insurance company. And so, but I'm not saying that you get wear and tear in your knee and health insurance shouldn't kick in. What I'm saying is control the cost leading into the, any surgery or treatment related to it because you were the direct cause of it. Same thing with our eating and our health. And so um, there's other ways to control the expenses, but where we go uh, is a big um, process, right? So we just had a, uh, an event. I don't know the kid's name, but he, um, at, at the ice rink, he fell down, went into the boards. It was his leg, not his head, thankfully, but it hurt. Mom called the ambulance, wanted the ambulance to take him. Okay, well, that's going to be an expensive bill. She was more concerned about the kid and his pain, but, um, and I'm not trying to be the judge of char- character or anything related to it. I was I was an outsider looking in, but but I tell you, we have to think twice about the ambulance ride because it's going to cost you. If it's something you could put your kid in the back seat and take them over to the emergency room, um, that would have been better. Maybe urgent care. Your cost would drastically reduce. So people complain, oh, we got this six thousand hour or nine thousand hour out of pocket um, that we have to worry about now. Well, you could control some of that. So that's where the expense side. Is. So once you start learning some of those techniques, things um, start to make a a little bit more sense. Sure, it's annoying every time you go to the pharmacy and you spend $100 or anytime you go to the doctor and you owe $150. Yes, I get that, but you pay for it one way or the other. There's no free lunch anymore when it comes to healthcare and uh, expenses. So either you're paying for it, the employer's paying for it, taxpayers are paying for it, somebody's paying the bill. And so, and then you figure out workarounds, right? Um, so you can, you know, call, you know, local small businesses. They're usually willing to work with you with cash payments um, as well as maybe uh, over-the-counter medications. There was one time I injured my ankle and went to a doctor um, instead of the ER. It hurt so bad and uh, couldn't sleep. And so I finally get in 
they took an x-ray everything's fine it's just a sprain um, but it, i really thought it was broken um, but he wrote a prescription uh, for me to take and i asked him well i don't have a problem getting this but you know i'm paying for it no matter what there's no coverage um per se i have to meet my deductible first and he just said, yeah, you have Advil at home? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, just take Advil. So he was going to write me a prescription. I was going to go drive to the pharmacy, spend whatever. It might have been under 10 bucks, but it, the time it would have taken to go to a local pharmacy and then pick up the drug, um, you know, it, it, that all costs money. So I already had something that would be the solution. So, so I'm not justifying all these increases, but there are definitely ways um, around it. So there you have it.